Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. And happy Easter, everybody. It's Easter. Jesus is alive. Come on, somebody. We're, this is our favorite day of the whole year. There is no better day to celebrate than the day that Jesus defeated death forever and ever. Amen. And so, man, we love this day. I tell you what, worship was so good this morning. My legs are tired. My legs, I'm ready to sit down on that stool for this message. I'm just exhausted. Man, I appreciate it. That was a great uh, job from the team this morning. They gave it all they had in worship this morning. And so, man, we appreciate that. Well, I also wanted to confirm that today is, in fact, April 1st, not August 1st. So, April Fools, you've all been tricked. You thought it was summertime. Nope. It was 38 degrees this morning. Man, I love Easter. It is absolutely uh, my favorite time of year to celebrate. I love that Easter comes in the springtime because spring, you know, comes at the end of that long, cold winter where I was certain that nothing laid before me but death. But then all of a sudden, that first flower comes up out of the ground and you're like, life does await me ahead of me. Spring is coming. Praise God, I can go outside again. And that's when we celebrate Easter. And so, man, I love it. I get excited about it every year. If today is your first time at the Gathering Church, let me give a special welcome to you. We are so glad that you are here today. At the Gathering Church, we are fixated on life-giving community. We believe that nobody was made to go through life alone, that we were meant to do this together. At the gathering, we're a family. We're an imperfect family of broken people centered around the only perfect father there is. At the gathering church, we believe this is a place you can come, whoever you are, and belong before you believe. At the gathering, we're fixated on taking our next steps. In fact, we talk about it every single Sunday because we believe that grace will meet you right where you are and it never, ever leaves you there. We don't want to be in the same place we are today a year from now. We're always taking our next steps forward. In fact, we believe the scriptures lay out a very clear spiritual pathway for us to follow and that is our purpose at the Gathering Church, to come alongside you in walking that spiritual pathway that you might know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. And so we are so glad you're here with us today. We hope you find a family here today. We hope you find a place that you can belong here today. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called The Road. And over the next four weeks, I want to spend some time talking about very specifically and very simply what it means to follow Jesus. He made a statement once as he was speaking to the ones, uh, to all the people gathered around him. He said, that if you want to follow me, it's a difficult road. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads us to life, and only a few ever find it. And so I'll teach this scripture sometime, and people will talk to me and say, Hey, Pastor, how are we supposed to know where that small road is? If it's so hard to find, how do I know that I'm on it? And so that's the question we hope to answer over the next four weeks. We want to talk very specifically about that narrow road and what it really looks like and what it really means to follow Jesus with everything that we have. And so today, I want to start with the very first step on that road, and that is to talk about the power and the life-giving truth of the Easter story. 
Today's message is titled, Let the Ruins Come to Life. Let the Ruins Come to Life. Here's what I want us to talk about this morning. Easter, as we know it, consists of two distinct parts. The crucifixion on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday. And on Friday, all of our sins were forgiven, and on Sunday, death was defeated. And so I want to talk about the distinction between Friday and Sunday, and I want to encourage us this morning to move from living on Friday into life on Sunday. You see, I meet a lot of people uh, in our community, in our city here in Asheville, who have experienced that Friday. They understand what it means. Many people in our area grew up around church or in church. or This is the Southeast. This is the Bible Belt. And so many of us are familiar with that story of the crucifixion, that our sins have been forgiven and, and that we could be made new. But the story oftentimes stops right there, that Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, that we can be forgiven, and then that's kind of the end of it for many of us. But you, don't, you may understand, many of us, maybe that's you here this morning, and maybe for you, you understood that your sins were forgiven, but you didn't know what came next, because you still felt broken. And even if you were told you were forgiven, your life was still in ruins. And after a while of going to church and being a part of it, maybe you just didn't find what you were looking for. And so for reasons that you couldn't fully articulate, you left church. And I believe that for many of us, for me, when that was my story, it was because I experienced the crucifixion, but not the power of the resurrection. It was because I had experienced forgiveness, but I had never received life. See, I think many of us never fully experience the fullness of Easter. And my worry this morning, what I, what I, what I wonder is whether or not we understand the complete story today. I think there's two reasons that we don't experience the fullness of Easter. And the first is that we only receive Friday. We only receive Friday. I want to tell you exactly what I mean by that, but first, let me define Friday for us. Let me talk for us just a moment about what was at stake. Maybe you never did receive Friday, and I want to make sure we don't leave you behind this morning. So let me just talk for a minute about the significance of that crucifixion on Friday and what it really means for our sins to be forgiven. You see, in the beginning of the story between God and man, a conversation takes place. And God warns man that you've got a choice here. You can either choose life with me, or you can choose sin, and if you choose sin, you will be separated from me. If you choose sin, I won't have a relationship with you anymore. If you choose sin, then it will ultimately lead you to death. But man chose sin, and man has continued to choose sin ever since. In fact, the narrative of the Old Testament is over and over again God giving man opportunities at redemption. God saying, I want to repair our relationship. I want to restore what we once had. Just do this, and you choose this, choose me, and you can be a, you can be a part of my family again. But man, over and over again throughout the Old Testament narrative, chooses sin instead, chooses death 
instead of life. And it happens over and over again. God just keeps getting in man's way, keeps reaching out, keeps revealing parts of himself to us. But over and over again, man chooses sin, the things that are apart from God, the things that hurt God, the things that are opposite of the nature of God. Finally, we get to the gospel message. And you open up the book of Matthew and everything changes in an instant because there gets to a place where God said, from the very beginning, I knew you couldn't do it on your own, and so I am going to do this for you. You see, in the gospel message, we see God stepping into the story of humanity in a very real and tangible way. We see the creator of the universe saying, I desire you, I desire relationship with you, I desire life with you so much, I'm willing to sacrifice my own so that you might have it. And we see this crucifixion story, Jesus the Son of God, God and man, completely and wholly, a piece of God himself, walking amongst us here on earth, teaching us what it means to be in relationship with God, teaching us what the kingdom of God really is, teaching us how to value people, how to value one another, teaching us what worship means. And then we see man choosing sin yet again, just like he knew we would. And Jesus goes to the cross, a criminal's cross, takes on a death penalty, one that's given only the worst criminals in the Roman Empire. And on that cross, Jesus becomes the sacrifice for every mistake you and I would ever make. You see, he lived a blameless life, no sin. He was completely perfect and therefore became the only one who could be the worthy replacement for us on that cross. It was like we had stood in the courtroom and had received the death penalty. But right there at sentencing, Jesus walks in and says, I will take their place. And we get to let him take our place. He goes to the cross and on Good Friday, bad for Jesus, good for you. He takes your place. He takes my place. The death that God had warned me about all throughout creation had said, if you choose sin instead of me, only death waits for you. Jesus took that penalty on the cross. And in one moment, he looked out at the people around him, hurling insults at him, throwing things at him. And he said, it is finished. And it was a complete and total event with the sacrifice of the King of Kings, of the Lord of Lords, of the God of all creation, with his sacrifice, every mistake I have ever made in my life and ever will make was completely forgiven. Forgiven. In Romans 6, 23, it says it like this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of Christ, is e- the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. A free gift. All we had to do was take it. There on the cross, he offered us something. All we had to do was accept his free gift. No longer did we have to jump through any hoops. Did we have to work our way back to God? All we had to do was let him take our sentence for us. It's good news for us this morning. In Isaiah chapter 54, the prophet 53, the prophet sees this moment playing out. He says in verses 4 through 6, 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, will go astray, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Beautiful poetry that described the most important moment of all history. When we could be made as white as snow and could once again, for the first time since the garden, enter into the presence of our Creator. What a wonderful cross. What a wonderful, terrible cross. So the cross is important. See, the cross is life-giving. The cross matters. Without the cross, we can't ever be made whole again. Without the cross, we're just the sum of our mistakes. Without the cross, we are just no more than the ruins of the life that we've lived so far. But the cross offers us life again. The cross offers us a way to be made new. Now I wonder if, and here's the problem, many of us received that cross We understood the cross. We understood our need for forgiveness. We understood our need for a Savior, for somebody to take our place. And we accepted that cross. But we didn't understand what came next. It was very popular in church culture in the 1990s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, maybe a little bit today, to talk about the sinner's prayer. This prayer that we would pray where we would confess our sins and accept the gift of the cross, to talk about the cross and and to talk about the crucifixion and our need for forgiveness, to talk about our own sinfulness and to to focus in on those things and, and to encourage people to accept the cross. But I fear that one of our missteps is we've spent a lot of time as the church talking about Friday and haven't spent enough time yet talking about Sunday. And so my worry is that for many of us, We've only ever received Friday and we've left frustrated wondering what happens next. Because it's good news to be forgiven. But then it leaves you with an entire life ahead of you and no direction as to what to do now. First problem is that we we only received Friday. Second is that we didn't understand the purpose of the resurrection. The purpose of the resurrection. In other words, why did Jesus rise from the dead? Why? Did Jesus rise from the dead? See, most of us, if we accept the crucifixion, if we accept forgiveness of our sins, we believe that three days later, the tomb was emptied. That three days later, Jesus walked out of the tomb, that he would show people that he was alive again. He'd do ministry for 40 more days, and then he would would raise up to heaven and sit at the right hand of the throne of God. See, many of us believe in the resurrection when we believe in the crucifixion. But we don't understand the reason for the resurrection. Pastors all over the world are talking about the reason for the resurrection this morning. I love Easter Sunday because I love just knowing that I'm united with every speaker of the gospel across our world today celebrating the moment that they discovered that tomb was empty. And I appreciate it and I I, I love that story. In fact, I, I would tell you that Every Easter week, 
as I'm preparing for the message, I have more anxiety than any other week all year long. That I'm more stressed out about it than I am all year long. That, that I, I've got, I've, last week I talked about the worst parts of my story. Honestly, it took me almost no time to write because I know my story. <laughs> but this week I, I wrestled over it over and over again. I couldn't, I couldn't get my mind over what to tell of this story. And I know many other pastors that struggle with the same thing. And it should be easy because I'm just talking about the reason I'm here. I'm just talking about the, the story of my resurrection, the story of my redemption, and to tell the story of Jesus resurrected from the dead and talk about why is the whole reason I exist. And yet I had so much anxiety this week. You know why? I think it's because the devil is a sore loser. I think he doesn't like to remember what this day is all about. I think he doesn't like it when pastors around the world declare the reason for the resurrection. And so we get anxiety about it as though it's not good enough. But no story has ever been better than this one. And so each year I come and, and, I, and I teach on the resurrection and the why for the resurrection. And I think one of the things that I teach most often is that the resurrection gives credibility to every other claim that Jesus made. That because of the resurrection, we can believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. Because Jesus told us that after three days in the grave, He would walk out of it. Jesus said to His followers that I will be resurrected in three days. And if Jesus, the craziest claim that He made about Himself... If that one came true, then surely every other claim that he made, we can credit as true as well. We can believe that he is the Son of God, because he said he was the Son of God, and then he said he would resurrect from the dead. And since he did that, we're going to believe that. We can believe that he is who he says he is, because he did what he said he would do. And I think that's a powerful message. And I think that's important for us to remember. But I don't think it's the reason for the resurrection. I don't think it's the reason for it. See, I don't think Jesus was raised from the dead to give credibility to himself. Because Jesus knew he had credibility. He didn't need to justify it to us. I think that wasn't the purpose for it. I don't think Jesus raised from the dead for himself. So that he wouldn't be dead anymore. You know, one of the things I've thought about is maybe Jesus was raised from the dead just so he wouldn't be dead anymore. Because he's the son of God. He can't stay dead. And so maybe that's why he resurrected on the third day. But I don't think it was just for himself. I don't think that's the purpose of the resurrection. And in fact, I think the, the resurrection and the reason that he did it and the reason that he walked out of that tomb on three days was just as important for you and I as the reason that he went to that cross. See, I think the reason for him coming back to life after three days has as much significance for you and I as the reason for him hanging on that cross for our sins. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead to conquer death for himself and for us. In Revelation 1.18, John is speaking with the resurrected Jesus and if you ever want to know what Jesus looks like today, you can read Revelation chapter 1 because it is splendid. His eyes are like fire. His, his teeth are like bronze, all kinds of cool allegories. He's impressive. And he's sitting there speaking or standing there speaking with his best friend, John the Beloved, and giving him the revelation. And in the very beginning, in verse 18, he makes this claim. He says, 
I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I hold the keys to death and hell. Jesus said the devil has lost so bad, he doesn't even have the keys to his own house anymore. (laughs) He is finished. It is over. Jesus has the keys to death and hell. In that three days that he was dead, there was a battle going on. There was a war going on. And Jesus came out of that tomb victorious. And in his hands, he held the keys to death. And keys are powerful because keys unlock things. Because keys open new things. Keys have power over something. And now Jesus has the power over death. Jesus has the power to bring life to things that were dead. You see, this is important for you and I. Because all of creation tells us, all of nature tells us that life has a pattern. That everything in the world moves from life to death. Life to death. Everything living follows this one pattern. But Jesus, in the resurrection, came back with the keys to unlock a new reality. See, Jesus has the power to move things not from life to death, but from death to life. And this is important for you and me. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. And for many of us, we know Christ. We know Him. We know what He's done for us on the cross. We know Friday. We know we've been forgiven. We started that relationship with Jesus. But Paul says it doesn't stop there. He says, I want to know Christ and to experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. To know the power of His resurrection. What I want for you is not just that you would know Jesus, not just that you would understand the significance of the crucifixion, but that you would, under, that you would experience the power of the resurrection in your own life. And I believe you can. And I believe you can experience resurrection power every day in your own life. And I want to tell you what that means. But first, I need you to know that you can. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Do you know that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, the Bible tells us that the spirit of the living God dwells inside of us. That when we invite him to, he will live inside of us. The power of God, the same power that would raise Jesus from the dead. It says, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies Because of his spirit who lives in you. See, I worry that because of our sin and because of our decisions and because of our mistakes and because of other people's sin to us, that our lives enter into a state of ruins, that they they, they wind up in shambles, that we end up broken and defeated. And then somebody offers us the hope of the cross and we receive it and we feel brand new and we feel hope. For the first time. But then it stops. And we're forgiven. But we still feel hopeless. And our sins are washed away. But we're sitting in the rubble of our mistakes. 
we're still surrounded by the ruins of the life we've lived. And, and I worry that many of us just think that's the way it is. But what I believe is that when Jesus walked out of that tomb, he had in his hands the power to rebuild the ruins of your life. That he had in his hands the power to undo the destruction that you have done. I believe that waiting for you on the other side of the crucifixion is resurrection power. It's not just that your sins are forgiven. That's good news, but there's more. You get to experience life as well. The same one who raised Christ lives in you and will give you life. He has life waiting for you. Life unlike anything you've ever experienced before. Life that is brand new. Life that is filled with joy and satisfaction. Life that involves purpose and understanding. Life like you've always dreamed of, just waiting for you. Maybe you can hear that, but you still haven't received it. Because it just feels like it's too late. Like you're too far gone. Like you could never experience anything full again. You know, maybe we believe we're going to heaven, but we don't think there's anything left to look forward to until then. We just know one day things will get better, but not today. Today it's too late. I've already ruined my marriage. I've already lost that job. I've already alienated my kids. I've already dropped out of college. We already deal with the guilt every day from the mistakes that we've made. We've made so many mistakes that we're absolutely covered in the evidence. I once bought a Jeep Grand Wagoneer for $800. $800. And I bought this Jeep Grand Wagoneer for $800 and it was a mess. It, it barely ran. It had rust holes all over it. It actually had rust holes inside of it. That's when you know a vehicle is bad, when the, when the things inside of it are rusting. The little like Jeep decals inside the vehicle were rusty. It had sand in the carpet. The interior was all torn up. It was just a mess, this, this thing. And I took it home with one goal. I brought it to my house with one goal, to restore it to the glory it was created with to restore it to the splendor that the Jeep Corporation produced it with in 1987. I knew that wonderful things were made in 1987 because I was made in 1987. And I was going to see that Jeep come back to life. And so I started with the heart of it, the engine. I, started, I replaced some of the key components that had gone bad. I placed a new carburetor in it so that it could get fuel and one day I started it up and it caught fire immediately. <laughs> and then after some repairs from that, I started it up and it fired right up that thing. And it ran like, like it was brand new. I mean, you should have heard it. It's an AMC 360 V8, 5.9 liters. I mean, just America. I'm talking seven miles to the gallon. Just good stuff, you know. And it ran so good. And, I, and, I, and so I had this Jeep. I'd only put about $200 into it so far. So I had this $1,000 Jeep Grand Wagoneer that ran and drove, and, and I could have just stopped right there. I could have just stopped and had a decent running vehicle that would get me around town, that was reliable, that started up and ran. But that's not what I set out to do. 
That wasn't enough for me. I wasn't satisfied just with just enough for it to work. No, I wanted to restore that to something spectacular. I wanted those wood panels to shine like they were brand new again. And so I spent the next six months replacing every piece of rust with brand new metal. I spent the next six months restoring every faded piece of paint and covering it with something fresh and something new. I took that old ragged interior and I stitched it piece by piece back to life. And when I was done with that Jeep, it wasn't just passable, it was beautiful. It was the most beautiful automobile you've ever seen. I know my wife tells me I get too romantic about cars. And I said, you just don't get it because that thing was beautiful. I started it up and drove it around town and heads would turn all over Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Population 5,000. I had the coolest car in town. Listen, God wants more for you. God wants more for your life. He's not satisfied with just enough. He's not going to be satisfied with just forgiveness. He wants you to experience redemption. He's not satisfied with just forgiveness. He wants you to experience sanctification. You see, God wants more for you. He defeated death for you, not just so you could experience life, but so that you would have resurrection power available to you today. So that you would have resurrection power flowing through you at all times. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead would resurrect your life from the ashes. Maybe you're like that old Jeep right now. Just running, but absolutely covered in the evidence of your past. Sitting in the ruins of your mistakes. Sitting sitting in the ruins of life that you've been handed. And you think today's just another Easter to make your annual trip to church to hear about the crucifixion. But Jesus came to bring you a story of resurrection. Not just his, yours. Jesus came to bring you the story of your resurrection today. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is at the temple. And he walks up to the front of the temple there, where I imagine there's this wall filled with scrolls. And he pulls out one in specific. And he unrolls it. This is before iPads. You had to, I imagine you had to unroll these things. You had to have long arms if you wanted to read an entire passage. And Jesus unrolls this scroll and he opens it and he begins to read from Isaiah chapter 61. And afterwards, he rolls it up and he drops it like this, like a mic drop. Walks away. He didn't do that. But he rolls, he rolls the scroll back up. And he says, this has been fulfilled before you today. He declares that that passage, that what the prophet saw and wrote down hundreds of years prior was about him. And even more so, he declares it as his mission statement. This is what I came to do. This is what I'm here for. This is my mission. Let's read that scripture today and see what we can learn about Jesus. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That good news is the forgiveness of sins. 
It's the poor in spirit that he's talking to, not the poor in wealth. He's telling people that, listen, you don't have enough to bring yourself back to life. I do. And he wants us to experience that good news of the forgiveness of sins, but he doesn't stop there. Second part of that verse says, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You see, if you only receive the forgiveness of sins and you don't move towards that resurrection power, I fear you're going to miss out on the oil of joy. That you'll live in that spirit of despair. I fear that you'll only experience mourning and that you won't get that cloak of praise wrapped around you. My fear is that you will miss out on the beauty if you only see the ashes. You see, Jesus came to restore you back to life. He was resurrected from the dead so that you might follow him into brand new life. You see, he wants to transform you. He doesn't just want you to be forgiven. He wants you to be a new creation. He doesn't just want you to be forgiven. He wants you to look and act and think like him. He wants to use you. It says, they will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. I love that phrase, oaks of righteousness. It's a symbol of life. It's a symbol of strength and of new beginnings. See, God wants to take something that was ashes and bring out of those ashes an oak of righteousness. He wants to bring out of those ashes something that would bring life to those around it, a pillar in that community a pillar in that family, a symbol of strength for others to see. He wants to take those who were mourning and bring them into a place where all who see them would not see death, but would only see life. Oaks of righteousness. And not only does he want to do that in your life, not only does he want to restore you to this oak of righteousness. Not only does he want you to be something new, something stronger, something better than before, but look what it says in verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. Those oaks, those people who were ashes, those ruins would be rebuilding ruins. And they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. See, God doesn't just want to restore you. He wants to redeem you. God doesn't just want to make you something new. He doesn't want to make you strong, bring life into you. He doesn't want to just refill your heart with something new. He wants to use you to do it for others. And that's the purpose of life right there. It's very simple. You were made to glorify God and serve others. And he wants to resurrect, he wants to renew you. He wants to resurrect the ashes of your life. And he wants to use you to do it for others. 
God will give you life that is so great that you won't even be able to keep it to yourself. That no longer will you be able to just live the life you're living with your head down, surviving, trying to get by. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to experience life and experience in abundance. And he wants you to be the one going to others whose lives are in ruins and telling them there is something new for you today. There is resurrection power available for you. It's not just about the forgiveness of the crucifixion. It's about the life from the resurrection. He wants you to experience life this morning. Here's four things that I want us to learn from this passage, and then we're all done today. Very simply, very simply, if we want to experience the fullness of Easter this morning, the first thing we can do is just stop dying. Just stop it. Stop dying. Stop moving from life to death. Stop following the path that everything around you, that this culture, that this world, that all of creation has told you that you have to follow. See, we buy into it. We let it affect us that we just move from life to death, that we're just, we're just moving towards death. It's just it's what's at the end of the road for us. It's where we're going. We feel like we're halfway there now. Sometimes we feel like we're closer, and we're just moving from life to death. And I would tell you that the reason Jesus walked out of that tomb with those keys clutched in his hand was that you would be able to stop moving from life to death, and you would start moving from death to life. He's got life for you today. You don't have to die for one more moment. Resurrection power lives inside of you. It means you never have to die again. It means death's not an option for you. You don't die today. You don't die every moment that you're living in the ruins of your mistakes. And you don't die at the end of the story either. You get life. You get life 100% complete over and over again. And even at the end of the day, waiting for you on the other side of that grave is more life. So stop dying. Stop dying. Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 25, a woman is worried because her brother has died. It's been four days and Jesus shows up. He's just excited because he's going to do something big. And she believes he's dead and he just looks at her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And he just asked that simple question. Do you believe it? Because all you have to do to stop dying is believe it. It just doesn't get any easier than that. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to do any work for it today. You just have to stop dying. You just have to believe it. You just have to believe that the one who is the resurrection and is the life did not come to bring condemnation on you, but came to bring you life and bring it in abundance just as he has said he would do. You can choose life over death because of the resurrection, because of the empty grave. You have to believe it and you can stop dying. You can stop moving towards death and start moving towards life. Second thing, stop dying, start rebuilding start rebuilding. It's time to rebuild. It's time to rebuild. It's time to move forward. It's time to stop sitting in the devastation. It's time to stop feeling sorry for yourself. It's time to stop feeling defeated. It's time to stop focusing on all the mistakes and on all the things that have gone wrong and start to focus on the one who has done right. Start 
rebuilding. Let the ruins come to life. There is life waiting for you. And so here's how I would encourage you to do that. You wonder, what, what's my next step? I want resurrection power. I want to experience life, the life I was created to live. I want to do it. What do I do now? Give us a year. Give us a year. Give us a year of your life. Listen, I know. You're thinking, whoa, pastor, you just were, you had me, and now that's a little bit much. Because, you know, sometimes it's real nice out on a Sunday, and I need to be on the river. You know, come on, somebody. Praise Jesus. Amen. For his creation. You know. But I say give us a year. Give us a year and go all in. Do everything. Go all in 100%. Give it everything you've got. Get in community because you can't do this alone. So you need to find freedom. And if you're going to find freedom, you've got to pull people around you that know what freedom looks like. You've got to pull people around you on that journey themselves. You've got to have somebody lead you there. Get in community. Join a life group. You see, life without community is empty. It's broken. And it's not the full picture of the life God created you to live. Get in community. Join a life group. Second thing I'd encourage you to do is get on the dream team. Listen, coming in here on a Sunday and just listening to me talk is going to get old eventually. I talk a lot. It's going to get old. I'd encourage you to be a part of it. To be a part of it. Because lives are changing in this place, at the gathering church, because of the, peop- the way people love one another here. Because of the way people worship here. Just this morning already, seven people entered from death to life at the gathering church. Come on, somebody. Come on. And I want you to be a part of that. Because that's the dream. That's what you were created to do. Not just to be made an oak of righteousness yourself, but to lead others out of their ruins into beautiful cities. That's what you were created to do. So join the dream team. Go to Growth Track. Discover your purpose and join the dream team. Go all in. Bring a notepad. Write down every piece of application we give you. Go home and do it. Here's what I say. This is so important. Because maybe you're here today and you've tried church before and it just didn't work. Your life didn't get any better. You stayed in the ruins. You never experienced life. And I would wager that you didn't go all in. That you didn't give it every part of yourself. Jesus makes it clear over and over again to all of his followers. He's not looking for a little bit. He wants every part of you all of you, 100%. He's going to offer you resurrection power, but in return, he asks for you to follow him completely. And so it's time to try something different. What you've been doing isn't working. It's time to do something drastic. Give us a year. One year of your life, one year of your life, go all in, and I promise you, one year from now, you won't look anything like you look today. You won't be ruined anymore. You'll be living in the life you were created to live. You're going to be restored to the dream God had for you when he made you. God created you with a dream inside of you. In fact, God created you with a purpose. A purpose. And He everything about who you are, your gifts, your passions, your desires, he only gave them to you because he only gave you your purpose. And it doesn't matter how far you go, you can always be restored to your purpose through the power of the resurrection. So start rebuilding. Start discovering that purpose and move towards the reason you were put on this earth. Stop dying. Start rebuilding. Stop doubting. Stop doubting. Number three, you're hearing all this and you just got this voice in your head over and over saying, not me, I can't do it. It's too late. I've gone too far. You don't know me. You don't know my mistakes. 
My ruins are too broken. Nothing can be built from this. There's no discernible anything left. I am ruins. Stop doubting. Stop doubting. Because if he did it in me, he can do it in you. Because if he did it in me, he can do it in you. Just last week, I, I sat up here and I shared the absolute worst parts of my story. And I think it would surprise you. I have been so broken. And I've made so many mistakes. And I never, ever, ever thought God would do anything with me. In fact, I remember when he called me into pastor, into, into ministry to be a pastor. I just, I remember having a conversation with God. Just telling him, God, you got the wrong guy. I'm too broken. I can't do it. I'm not the right person. I never will be. And I just remember the voice of God saying, John Mark, you never will be, but I will make it in you. I will be enough. I will resurrect you. I will bring new life to you. I will be with you. John Mark, you don't have to be enough because you've got my resurrection power inside of you. Listen to me. Stop doubting. You will be an oak of righteousness. You will be an oak in your family, a symbol of life for those around you. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. He can restore you to the purpose in your creation. It doesn't matter how far you've come. He can always redeem. That word redeem, it just means to be set back to your original purpose. And you are never too far for redemption. You can be redeemed. Finally, stop dying, start rebuilding, stop doubting, and just start living. Just start living. Easter isn't an event. It's an invitation to a process. It's an invitation to a process. Listen, Jesus, he didn't die and come back from the grave again to make bad people good. He did it to make dead people alive again. It's time to start living. It's time to start living. It's time to believe that you were created with a purpose. It's time to believe that you can be the one to invest in others. That you can be the one to build others' ruins into something new again. That you can be the one to bring beauty out of devastation. That God can do it in you and through you. That God is doing it in your life and he can use you to do it in the life of somebody else. It's time to start living. It's time to stop believing that it's too late for you. It's never too late for you. It's never too late for you. If you don't believe me, look at the Bible. Over and over and over again, we see stories of people that it was too late for getting second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances because our God is a God of redemption. And he wants nothing more than to bring you back to life again. So start living. Believe that he'll do it in you today. I believe Easter Sunday has a meaning for us. It has, a, it, has, it has more purpose in it than anything in the, in the history of creation. My hope this morning is that we would receive the fullness of it.